The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show today is about how to disappear. And that's pretty hard to do in the information age. And we are going to be speaking with a privacy expert himself. Frank M. Ahern, and he wrote this with Eileen C. Moran, and it's called How to Disappear. Erase your digital footprint, leave false trails, and vanish without a trace. And I have this book right in my hand, and it's got a great cover of this, like, smoke, you know, like it's really magical. Let me tell you a little bit about Frank's background, and I'm really excited to interview him. He's coming all the way from the East Coast. Frank Ahern is a privacy consultant who works with people who need to disappear. So his clients range from victims of stalkers, celebrities seeking privacy, business travelers trying to avoid abductions and kidnapping, and anyone else who finds that the digital information that's about them out there is too intrusive. Frank started his career as a skip tracer. That's someone who tries to find people who don't want to be found and a social engineer who obtained information for investigators, lawyers, and tabloids. He worked cases involving Monica Lewinsky, George Clooney, mm, Conrad Black, and the Oscars, to name a few. Frank is the co-author of this new book that I just told you about, How to Disappear, and it is a authoritative and comprehensive guide for people who seek to protect their privacy and their identity. It's also for anyone who's ever entertained the fantasy of disappearing, whether actually dropping out of sight or eliminating the traceable evidence of their existence. And we talk many times on this show about how there is so much information out there about us that we would have no idea if we saw the profile that was being created by many of these companies. Frank and Eileen provide field-tested methods for maintaining privacy as well as tactics and strategies for protecting personal information and the big concern about identity theft. There's a lot more about him on our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy with his picture as well. But one thing I'd like to tell you before we actually introduce him is that um, he has a philosophy, a dual philosophy. Don't break the law, but know how to protect yourself. And that's what his book is really about. You can find out more about his book as well at disappear.org. Info. That's www.disappear.info. Thanks, Frank, for joining us all the way from New York, right? Right. Thank you so much for having me. Much appreciated. 
So tell my audience a little bit more about what a skip tracer is and, and what you did. Well, a skip tracer is someone who typically finds people or finds information. And, you know, prior to the days of the Internet and databases, how, you, how we would locate people was a whole gray area of, like, you know, calling up utility companies and phone companies and pretexting them for information. Pretext meaning lying to obtain the information. And, you know, we would locate witnesses, deadbeats, lost loves, a lot of the tabloid work, locate celebrities. So basically, you know, I was kind of like on the other end of the fence or the other side of the street where I would just, you know, had a great client base and they needed to find somebody, I would find them. And And now it would be so much easier. If you were trying to do that now, it would be a cinch, wouldn't it? Uh, yes and no. I mean, you got to remember, just because the information's out there doesn't always mean it's current. It doesn't mean it's correct. I uh, see. One thing about technology, too, what I use now, I use it as disinformation in the business as well. So just because it's there doesn't mean it's correct. You always have to be careful for that. Right. So how did but, you get into that, that career? Oh, God, I always say I was unemployable elsewhere. I, used, I worked for an investigative agency doing undercover work in retail stores, catching employees stealing. And then from there, I started working in the office, running the other undercovers, and there's this guy doing the skip tracing. And I just found it fascinating that he could pick up the phone and find people. And I convinced my boss to let me do it. And the first day I did it, I picked up the phone. I was like, cool, this is for me. Yeah. And I, was, I, I, it was, I had a great knack at it, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And the first time I really started making money, so it was like all uphill from there. Just you know, back then you have to remember there was only like motor vehicle, credit, and criminal. There really weren't a lot of databases, you know, where you could draw information from. You had to know somebody to get information, right? And like to that. get credit reports, then you'd have to somehow get in to get the credit reports, and you aren't supposed to be able to get it without a permissible purpose. Right. There was, you know, back then there was a whole underground gray area internet to a degree where, you know, if you knew somebody who knew somebody, you could always get the information. But a lot of that's changed these days. Right. So did, I understand that you did some pretext calling, too, didn't you, to get what you needed. Why don't you explain what that is? Uh, basically, everything I did was we never used any databases. We always used pretext. You know, I was always a true believer that Somebody somewhere has a right to get that information over the phone. And, it, you know, if I had somebody's phone number and I needed to know who they were, I'd, I'd call them and say I was from either UPS or FedEx and I had a water damage package, just need the correct shipping location. And most people would say, yeah, my address is 123 Main Street. And they'd give you the information. And, and that was, you know, the, basics, the basis of, of, of pretext is just creating the lie to get the information you need. Right, and fraudsters do that too. People don't realize it. Not only do they do it when they send these phishing emails, but they do on when what we call vishing when they call on the phone and they pretend to be the cops saying, "Hey, you know, there's somebody that's that's committed fraud against you. Tell me your social security number and I'll tell you if it's really you that they're going after or whatever." That the uh the the bad guys use this too. Right. And the scary part now is I don't know if you're familiar with spoof card. Uh, where you could use a card and pre-program your phone number, and when you call someone, you could display any phone number you want. On right. ID. So, you know, they may appear that they're calling from law enforcement, but it may not be them. So I always say, listen, give me a callback number, and I'll, I'll call you back. Right. 
Or, or the other thing to do is say, you know what, um, I'll call my local law enforcement agency and then I'll ask for you. Or I'll call the number that I know that's my bank and I'll call you back. Because the, the problem is, is if you really call back the number that they give you, it could be, it could be their fraudster number too. No, I, I agree. I, I would call the local police department or something of that nature. Right, right. So let's talk a little bit about social engineering. And is there a difference between pretexting and social engineering? Uh, I think pre, uh, social engineering is just a kinder term. It's more technical. Uh, there's, it's really the same thing. It's just calling, making phone calls to obtain, you know, passwords or information from systems. You know, I had Kevin Mitnick on this show a couple years ago, and he was the FBI hacker, and he has written a book called The Art of Intrusion and the Art of Deception. And he told all these stories about he and his friends that had used social engineering to get into places to, you know, pretend to be maybe fixing telephones and then got into computers that they had no right to get into. Just amazing things that people are trusting, aren't they? Well, it's not, I don't think it's that there's so much trusting. I, I just don't think they expect it. And, you know, if you call somebody up and you say you're from the utility company or the phone company, the, the average person doesn't have a reason to disbelieve it and or, or not to believe that you're who you say you are. But, I mean, we sh- you should question. Anybody, anytime somebody calls me, I just hang up on them. There's no reason <laughs> to call me. Uh, but, yeah, it is it is amazing. I've, I've done, like, so many amazing cases where I've hung up the phone and said, my gosh, I can't believe I got that information. I know. I know. And, and I'm so worried about that, that one time the IRS called me, and they really did call me, but I gave them a hard time, and I said, I'm not going to talk to you because I don't know if you are who you say you are. What department are you in and what's your number, you know, your your employee number? And then I called back the IRS and it really was true that somehow somebody had interposed my social security number and, and one of my estimated payments didn't go to my account. And they were trying to help me. <laughs> but I was so suspicious because of all that I deal with, with people with fraud, that I didn't believe them. So you know, the lady didn't actually get mad at me. She laughed afterwards. But, you know, that's that's how crazy you even if somebody really does call you, it's OK to say you don't believe them and not be nasty about it. But just call the number that you know to be true because you never know. Right. It's true. It's funny because I got a call once from United Parcel Service having a problem with my address. And I hung up on them <laughs> give them any information. My mother called me that night once to know if I got the Omaha steak she sent me. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. I didn't. I just totally I said, no, I just wouldn't take the package. Ma. Sorry. Yeah, right. And, you know, it's probably a good idea then, I mean, to when you are sending something to somebody, to just let them know that something is coming just for that, that purpose kind of. I think people are getting more suspicious nowadays when we have such a huge increase in identity theft and fraud. People are, are starting to you know, say, gee, I don't, I don't know if you're real, you know? Right, exactly. Or just give me a tracking number and I can search online or something like that. With all these information brokers on, online and offline, and boy, I, I, one day I just typed into the internet, background checked, and I think hundreds of thousands came up of, of you know, for my search. So how about these companies? Are companies still pretexting for information? I think they're, they are, but not like it used to be. I mean, you can't pretext banks. You can't pretext, pretext phone companies anymore. Uh, or you can't pretext ads from a bank or ads from the phone company. 
but there's always a way around it where you know it, it's just not as quick. Um, you don't you don't see that. It, 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 the business has changed a lot. I mean, what you see online, a lot of these background checks or people or companies just selling that like Intellius data pretty much. But as far as like pulling phone records and selling credit reports, you really don't see that anymore. It's just the laws are just too strict. So, not saying it's not done though. Right. So Frank, how did you evolve really from being a skip tracer and doing the pretext to help different companies? How did you evolve to be on the other side, helping people disappear? How did that happen? Uh, well, a couple of years ago, uh, I had the misfortune of giving up drinking. So instead of hanging out in bars, I hung out in bookstores. And so <laughs> I, uh, I, I saw this guy, he's buying these books about like offshore banking and privacy and Costa Rica. And so it was obvious just from watching him, he was looking to move offshore. And he was online in front of me on the cashier. And when he went to pay for everything, he used a credit card. And I'm thinking, that's dumb. Right. And I'm thinking, like, you know, if somebody wanted me to find him, you know, I could pretext his credit card company, find the transaction in the bookstore, pretext the bookstore, find out what books, and then pretext the airlines and, you know, car rental companies. And I had this whole thing in my head by the time he got, you know, by the time he finished his transaction. And he was sitting down having a coffee, and I just kind of struck up conversation with him. And I said something to him about, you know, I bet you're going to be banking in Belize, but moving to Costa Rica. And I said, I introduced myself, so I'm a skip tracer, and I find people for a living. And I told him how I would go about locating him. And it turned out he was a whistleblower, and he got some money. His money was already offshore, and he wanted to leave the country and just go live in South America. But he was kind of concerned for some retribution about retribution. Yes. And a few days later, he got in touch with me. He says, you know, can you, like, help me disappear? And I was like, sure. You know, I really started thinking about it, of what, would, what I would need to do. And in reality, when you're looking for somebody, you don't look for them. You look for the information they left behind. You know, the, the, the old phone bill, the, the, you know, contact number on utilities, the contact number on the cable, um, you know, car rentals, airline flights, things like that. Right, all the digital fingerprints everywhere. Right, and the funny part, this was like really prior, you know, or the upstart, you know, like nine years ago and something like that. So, I mean, the internet, the digital information really wasn't what it was now. Right, it's, it's so vast now, right. Right, where back then I was dealing with, you know, more his offline information, like, you know, his phone records, his banking records, his transactions, his credit report. And we just kind of did this whole thing where I said, we got to get rid of this somehow, we got to either deviate it or delete it, and then we should really create some sort of disinformation because if they're looking for you, we've got to keep them busy. And so, you know, I, I had them go to another state, you know, open up a bank account there and, you know, apply for an apartment there, which, which would show the, you know, the, uh, the inquiry and his credit report. So I was kind of like just guessing as I went along, but it seemed to work out pretty well. And then right after that, I wrote an article about it on this website called Escape Artist. And next thing you know, it's like people from all over the world are like contacting me. It was like crazy. Like, Frank, help me. Help me disappear. <laughs> yeah, I became, I, I turned into like the Dear Abby of disappearing. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's funny. And like, even with the book coming out, I've realized a lot of changes in the past year where, you know, the digital information is becoming so overwhelming. And people don't care about their offline information, like their phone records or their 
you know, utility records. It, it just seems like that's become secondary in our lives to our, and the internet's become our primary problem in life. Well, now even those are online. I mean, you can go online and see all of your phone records. Your cell phone record is online, right? I mean, everything you have right. is online. So those, and and we don't really have enough laws to really protect those from being shared, right? So they're being shared. And then there's other companies that are creating these vast profiles on on each of us. And so much right. is being done even that isn't transparent, whether it's the cookies or whether it's the profiling when you go on, you know, and you're on Facebook. You don't even know who's collecting all this information when you're online. It's just not transparent at all. I'll tell you a very simple story. A client of mine a few months back, right? You used to be able to travel and have a certain amount of, like, you know, discretion where nobody really knew who you were. A client of mine was in Mozambique. And he was down in the lounge and talking to somebody. And the person actually uh, said something about him that he should never have known about my client. And what we figured out is someone in the hotel, right, who had his name, his credit card, and his address, they must have put his, his address in like Zillow or Trulia, the, the real estate sites. Yes. And they saw the value of his home. And he's a pretty wealthy guy. He just totally freaked out. He got up, went to his hotel, checked, just left the hotel. And, he, and he, you know, we tried to figure out what to do about this. He says, I can't believe this. He says, I can't book a, a trip in the world. Somebody on the other side of the world can just figure out exactly what the value of my home is, and which makes me a target for abduction. Right. And it's become very scary, the information. Especially if you're traveling to Mexico or, you know, some of the countries that are known for kidnapping now. Right, exactly. You know, even if if your home's like two hundred thousand dollars, that's that's like being a millionaire in, in some third world countries. Exactly. I, I got a kick out of your book. You said something like, "Yes, I'm glad you bought my book, but um, I hope you didn't buy it with my cre- with a credit card." <laughs> Yeah, and that's you know. true. I know. I mean, it's true. You know, those of us who think, oh, well, well, I'll get my mileage and then I can fly somewhere for free if I use my frequent flyer mileage, I use my credit card. And you pretty much have to use a credit card to even book anything online. You have to have oh, yeah. a credit card to get a rental car. You have to have a credit card to purchase anything online or, or a debit card, which is a lot more dangerous. But, you know, it's it, that credit card has our whole life on it, right? It basically has our life. People don't realize, like, if they're driving in their car and they go on a tollway and they've got a transponder, that's following you wherever you go. You know, when you go ahead. I, I think the attitude is the the minute you leave your house, okay, is the minute you lose your privacy. Yes. Where you're either being uh, on video somewhere on camera, you know, or digital footprints are happening. Be it you know using a pass to get on a bus, like I said, using Easy Pass. You know, purchasing, you know, more and more people use their debit card to buy things. I, I hardly have cash on me at times, too. And you just, you know, you can track somebody's day with all of this information. Exactly. And even before you leave your house, unless you're not using a computer, if you're on the Internet and you're looking up something on your computer, you there, you know, anywhere you go, most most of these websites are tracking you with cookies and they know your IP address. And from your IP address, they can figure out who you really are. So even before you leave your home, you don't right. you really don't have any expectation of privacy unfortunately. I mean you you have an expectation of privacy whether you have it or not is something else. Well, you know, it's kind of weird. It's like we we've created like this 
digital identity is what I call it. And, you know, you've created, like, this digital DNA about yourself, especially with, like, social networking. you got your friends, your family, your interests, and all of this stuff. And what a lot of people don't realize is companies are now starting to research potential applicants' social networking sites. They yes. want to know what people are doing in their spare time. Uh, law enforcement agencies are asking applicants to turn over access. And people have not gotten jobs because of off-colored emails, partially nude emails. And where you know, what's starting to happen now is our personal life has become part of the decision-making process of companies when they're hiring you. And, and, and if you're in a lawsuit, let's say you were in a car accident, and the attorneys on the other side can look and then they see you, you know, running around at a party, you know, you don't look like you're very injured and that's going to hurt your case as well. So, yeah, the, the social networking out there that everybody is on Facebook or whatever they're on or their dating pages, that's 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 fair game. People can get in there and they can use it for, like you said, to to not promote you or not give you the job or law enforcement to see something to to use against you, even though it may not even be you. Or if you're involved in some activities that are, let's say, more liberal than the conservative uh, employer that you're thinking of uh, working for, that may injure you. And they may just decide, hey, you know, you're not the type of person that we want to have work for us. And they don't even have to tell you that they saw it on, on Facebook. Not only that, a lot of these towns now are starting to public, are starting to put the minutes of the town hall meetings online, where you know someone who's got a you know a grudge against the local sanitation department, now their grudge is being like put online. Right. It, it just seems like there's no stopping it. Everybody wants just to put information online, and it just seems to be like you know when do we pull in the reins and say you know something, we don't need the minutes to town hall online. Yeah, you know, and we, we, we don't need, like, there's, it's such an information-based world where they try to use the information to make money. Information and, overload, right. Information is worth so much money right now. Yeah, because they can profile you, and they can use it for marketing, or they can use it for whatever, yeah, to sell to why, whomever. You know, what bothers me, though, is why these companies have the right to use our information. And then the worst part of it is when they got it wrong, you can't fix it. It's, it's like near impossible to fix. Right. And, and, you know, that's what I deal with with people all the time. If they're victims of identity theft, whether it's, you know, financial identity theft and their credit reports are messed up, at least that you can deal with because you can see it. But if it's medical identity theft, there's no central place that you can look where somebody's taking your identity. Or if it's cyber identity theft, it's that's another really hard one to find right. if somebody's, you know, impersonated you in another country and it's, you know, it's online. How do you just get back all that information? And if it's, you know, any kind of other identity, government benefit identity theft, I have this poor guy that I'm helping right now. In fact, I'm going to be in an interview on that. He has found out that 12 people have been using his name and social security number and working for companies across the country. Wow. And he didn't find out about it until the IRS came after him. And it, so this, you know, and then he couldn't get his credit reports because the credit reports are showing an address of one or, one or more of the fraudsters. So <laughs> that's, I mean, it's, it gets real crazy. It gets real crazy. I, I, met, a, I met a client last year. She was arrested in New York, gets a knock on her door, 
and the police arrest her because she supposedly built an online site that sold electronics really cheap and, and did about like fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars worth of purchases through through an account. And but they used her ta- her social security number for the merchant's account. Right. And for the bank account. And her problem was she had to prove it wasn't her. Right. Like, how do you prove it's not me? Yes. Yes. And it, it was this massive disaster. This woman, she's a teacher, and it was it was. It ruins her reputation. Yeah, I mean, how do you, how do you answer that? Well, how do I prove it's not me? Yeah, I mean, it's my information. Right. But, and it was it was a real. Well, what real you know, that's that's what I deal with all the time when people are victims of criminal identity theft or whatever. We have to get all the documentation to show. You know, where was this, um, you know, account created? What was the IP address? If it was created online, what was the IP address of the of the person who created it? I had a woman from New York City, and it, actually she was in the New York Times because she was willing to come out and talk about this with me with the New York Times. And um, a woman created a website, you know, on a dating website and had men coming to her door and calling her, and it wasn't her. And she wasn't even able to take the information down because they said, well, wait a minute, you're not really you. So the police wouldn't take a report. Finally, we got the police to take a report. And we did. We were able to finally find out who this person was by getting the IP address. And it was not her. Obviously, it wasn't wow. her. So it was somebody that she went to school with 10 years before who was probably jealous of her. So so there are ways to do, you know, you can, once you get a police report for something like this, which you are entitled to a police report for for being a victim of identity theft, you have to get the report even if law enforcement won't do anything. And then you're entitled to ask for all documents of the account that was created or of whatever it was, you know, if if they got the merchant account, the application for the merchant account. When you apply for a merchant account, you you have to fill out a lot of information. And there was an address that she had to give that probably wasn't her own address. Right. So there are ways to do it. It, It's just very time-consuming for the victim. Yeah, and they don't make it easy for you. No, they don't. They don't because they just assume if it's your Social Security number, it must be you. You know, it's unfortunate. The, the social security numbers become our—it's become our soul in society. Yes. Yeah, and we it, everything. I mean, does your cable TV really have to have your social security number? You know, once you apply for the account, you pay your bill. They should just delete that information. Absolutely. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I, it's like everything. I mean, right now, I mean, in certain states, you apply for car insurance. They don't care about your driving record. They do a credit report on you. They base your driving. Your, your insurance on your, your credit yes, report. Yes, That's yes. It's like, well, my, my credit's not the greatest. I've just never been great on that, but I haven't had a ticket in 20 years. Right. Just, of course, then I they just, can get your DMV report as well, you right. know, your Department of Motor Vehicles. Yeah. I mean, th- <laughs> they want more and more information, and they're, they're not really willing to delete it or, or even redact it, which is scary because that's why we have so many security breaches that these, inf- you know, these databases are not really well protected. And then they're hacked into by someone sitting in their kitchen in Russia, <laughs> you know, right. and then they get all this information. But you let's, know. let's kind of uh, change gears. I want to know sure. something about your clients, especially George Clooney. Wow. <laughs> oh, you know, that's, he, he actually was my client. 
it's kind of a funny story. When I was doing a lot of work for the tabloids, uh, I, I had to locate and get like all of Ozzy Osbourne's phone numbers. This is when it was like the height of his show on MTV. Right. And I'm living in New York again at this time. And it's like miserable, snowing, and rainy. And I just could not get the information I needed. Okay. And at the end of the day, I got it, turned it over to my client. I was like, that's it. I'm not doing any tabloid work. I can't deal with this. You know, I'm just tired of this. I felt like a vulture. And then the next day, George Clooney actually comes on the TV talking about tabloids and paparazzis and, you know, all this like negative stuff. I mean, true stuff about them pretty much, but just, you know, just hacking away at them. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, I get an email. We need George Clooney's phone number. See where it lives. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore. And, you know, that was what that was. I, I just used to locate a lot of the uh, celebrities where they lived, phone numbers where they were at particular times and things like that for the paparazzis. And how about when you were involved in a case with uh, working with Monica Lewinsky and, and Clinton? Yeah, that was kind of funny. I, uh, my client calls me and says, listen, I need you to find this woman. Do nothing but find this woman. Don't care how much it costs, what you got to do, just do it. And so, you know, we're doing all of this phone information and the searching utilities and cable companies and, you know, checking airlines, all of this stuff. And I locate her at this one place. Where I believe she's at this one place. And I called up and I said I was like with UPS or Federal Express, and I had a water damage package for, you know, Monica Louie. You know, I mispronounced the name because it makes me sound dumb. Mm. I don't think I'm pretexting them. Right, right. And the person says, "Well, you're going to have to call back." And I was like, "Well, I'll just return the package. Thank you very much." And they're like, "No, no, no. She'll be here at whatever time." <laughs> I was like, "Thank you." Hung up. Call my client. I said, look, this is as good as it gets. She's going to be at this location, supposedly at this time. And he says, watch the news. You know, and I'm, I'm in a bar that night, and all of a sudden on TV flashes, Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. It's like, oh, my God. It's like really wild. And I was calling Eileen, my partner. And, you know, and I'm, the whole bar is, like, going crazy over this. I'm thinking, I can't even tell anybody here because they're just not going to believe me, you know? Right. And it was just a, a funny thing. But I did a lot of work like that where clients would have me do things and then a week later, it's in the paper. And yeah. Wow. You know, it was kind of so it was it was like a little underground world. And and I'm thinking about all the other people that are that can you know learn how to do this. So that's why it's so important for people to look at your book on how to disappear if they really need to disappear. The name of the book by Frank Ahern is How to Disappear. Erase your digital footprint, leave false trails, and vanish without a trace. And you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm the host, Mari Frank, and you're listening to Privacy Piracy. Talk about privacy piracy. That's what we're talking about today. So tell us, Frank, who are some of your clients, if you can share some of the sto- a couple stories with us. You know, originally it was like there was two common factors, someone dealing with violence or a money issue. And the violence was always the victim of the stalker, the abusive, the abused spouse looking to get out of Dodge. And, you know, they've reached these points where they just feel like there's no resolution and to to pick up and leave is the only resolution. So that's what we did with a lot of the victims of the stalkers and just really got them from point A to point B and made sure that whoever's looking for them just will not find them. And also create like this kind of like a 
communication systems between them and their family so that the stalker or predator would not be able to track and you know locate where the client went. You know, the, the money clients were like business people who found themselves in bad situations and just things didn't work out the way they expected and they were concerned about possible retribution. Clients who've come into some money and uh, just family and friends coming out of the woodwork trying to get some money from them. So it was always like either a money or a violence issue. But what's been kind of interesting lately, it seems like what's growing are is an information issue where clients are contacting me saying, i got a problem with all this information on about me. What do I do about it? So, you know, that's what it's turned into is people becoming more aware. And like I said, they're just more concerned with their digital information than their, quote, offline information. Those would be like the three common factors. Right. So, you know, I had a a friend who uh, actually she's been on my show and she had been a victim of stalking from an ex-boyfriend or an ex-spouse. And um, she got her name, you know, um, off the DMV list that she was able to do that. And she had done quite a few things. But what are the steps that you think a a victim should take if they're a victim of stalking? What should they do to protect themselves? I think think what they have to do is go to law enforcement no matter what. You know, a lot of times I'll hear, well, they don't do anything or they don't help. And, you know, you got to be the squeaky wheel. If the police department doesn't help, you go to the prosecutor's office. You know, there, there's, there's always someone out there you can find, and you have to deal with that first. The other thing is to make everybody you know aware that you're being stalked, and under no circumstances give out your information over the phone or if somebody knocks at the door. You know, so you have to start protecting yourself that way. Uh, and I, I would say, you know, physically, if they know where you live, you know, start, you know, get an alarm, the basic security, things of that nature. I mean, those are the things you have to do, and, and you have to really think about what's known about me out there and what they can use. So there's, there's just so many different types of stalking situations, and if it's somebody you know you've dated, unfortunately they have probably your family and friends' information, and you just then have to be really aggressive with law enforcement. But that's the, the main key is with law enforcement, deal with it that way before going to the extremes of disappearing. Right. But now in this information age, it's, you know, I, I think it's really tough. Um, how can somebody disappear in the digital world? Well, I mean, you can. I mean, because you can use the digital world to your advantage as well. And, you know, we, we work with clients who there'll be basic information about them online. And before they're picking up and going, we have them use their social networking as this information They'll talk about possibly relocating to Chicago. We'll have them post pictures on their Facebook account, okay, showing pictures of Chicago, maybe a photo, some Photoshop pictures. So we'll start like kind of like leaking it out that way. And the, the other thing is what we do is, you know, we create other disinformation offline. For example, we'll have her open up an account at a bank where we think that the predator is like checking her garbage, and we'll have her dump her banking information in the garbage. Once we, we think he's got that, we'll take that debit card, and we'll ship it to somebody in Chicago, and we'll have them use it in a supermarket. So once they access that checking account or savings account, whatever it is, they'll start seeing these transactions. 
also what we do is, you know, we have them make calls where they're going to Chicago, realtors, utility company, things like that. So we're, we're pretty much setting the stage. But the technology is beautiful because they can continue using their Facebook account or a MySpace or their tweet talking about is this the existing Chicago. And the truth of the matter is they could be in Seattle. You just don't know. So they have and, all their bills sent to Chicago and then forwarded to them later, or how do they? No, what well, we would do, we would just, we would have, their bills would be under like a corporation. I see. Uh, when we get them from point A to point B, depending on who you are and how much money you have, how you make a living, uh, we would have you open up a corporation in, in one, in say, Chicago, California. Let's say, say you're moving to San Diego. We'd have you open up a Cal, uh, San Francisco address, a mail drop, open up a corporation. But your utilities may be down in San Diego under a company name or a DBA name. So you're using a corporation more as a, a shell to live under. But you're, for face value on the Internet, you look like you're living in Chicago. Okay? We also give you a Chicago number, a virtual number that rings, that goes to a voicemail. Sometimes it goes to you. So, I mean, with technology, that works great. And we can have them use a spoof card where they're dialing into their mother's cell phone, okay, using a 312 area code in case the predator pulled the mother's cell phone records. They're going to see this 312 area code number. Mm. And so it might be from a hospital because it's, let's say they were a nurse. And so what we do is we just use technology, the little tidbits of it, and everything will focus to one particular area. What about if they're working? You know, and depends on what, here's that, that's the big that's always the biggest problem. What do you do for a living? Yeah, and how are you going to make a living? You know, you can't be Joe the bus driver in Chicago and then become Joe the bus driver in Sacramento because your license is going to give you up. Right. Sometimes you have to make a career change, or sometimes you have to. You know, I've worked with women who just felt like you know something. I'm going to get a job off the books as a waitress. I'll just file my taxes, whatever I I make. And, you know, at least I have one year lead on that. And then, you know, I'll use a mail, a PO box for my mailing address to the IRS, I mean, which is not illegal. Uh, she's claiming her taxes. So that's really the most difficult part. And I've worked with women where it's like, you know, you can't go because what's the point of you moving if you can't change what you do? They're going to find you this way. Exactly. So that, that is an important part of it and a big problem sometimes. And, you know, if you have kids... You know, that's another problem because then they can find you through your kids. And right. your kids you are going to be in school. Your kids as well. Yeah. Um, You're not going to just give it, get up and leave your kids. No, but the thing is, you got to remember, you know, it, you have to know where to look for the kids' records. You know, kids, if I'm correct, their records are not necessarily statewide. You know, typically it's district-wide. So, you know, if somebody moves to Alabama, you have, you have to, like, bang out every every system in Alabama to try to locate them. Plus, locating school information is kind of tough. You know, they're, they're kind of, it's difficult to pretext schools mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. from experience. They're, they're very conscientious about that. Yeah, I, I think about the Social Security number, that the kids have the Social Security number, and if they give it to their doctor, which they really don't need to do now because they can just give their um, health insurance number instead. But, you know, that that's a link. You know, if you go to... The doctor and, you know, these kinds of things are going to appear if, if they have a social security number, which they have to have as of age two, that, 
You know, I mean, I just think there's ways around it. It's really tough with all these databases that have this information. You know, let me, you know something? If you're a victim of a stalker and you have a pile high of police reports and you have a small kid in school and you went into the principal and said, here's my problem, any way to deviate the name, my kid's name until they graduate, I, I can't imagine a principal not doing it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, I think I think sometimes you know if if you you know you have a compelling story and you find the right person, they'll work around it with you. Right. And you know it's funny you're talking about like the the medical. Uh, last year I, I was out of town, had a cold, just need to go like one of these urgent care places, and I was just going to pay cash and that was it. But I had to fill out this application. They wanted my social security number. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I said, I'm not going to put my social security number down paying with cash. Well, we need it. And I'm like, you need my social security number? I have a cold flu here. Yeah. And I'm like, I said, the truth is, I said, you don't even know if I'm giving you the correct one or not. And then they give you the whole HIPAA Privacy Act. Right. And they want your driver's license. I'm like, gosh, you know, it's like you can't win when it comes to information. I know. And especially if you're paying cash. If you were paying, you know, with a check, I can understand that they might think, well, what if the check bounces? Or right. if you were paying with a credit card, they're thinking, oh, well, what if, you know, you're coming in, we don't really know you. But, or if you're going to send a bill, you're going to pay, you know, part of it, and then they send a bill. That's But paying cash, it makes absolutely no sense to me. Absolutely. But they can't even, they can't even verify whether the information I'm giving them is true or not. And that's the stupidity. I'm like, I said to them, I said, I can just write that anything, anything you're not going to know. I think like, one right? of the, yeah, I think, Frank, one of the issues is now with medical identity theft, people are, that physicians are starting to know that. And so they're trying to get more information. They are taking a driver's license and taking a picture. And and on one hand, as one who helps victims of identity theft, I think that's great when they ask me for my driver's license and they want to see my picture and they want to be able to prove that that was me in case there is some kind of medical identity theft and somebody is using my health insurance card. So, right. I mean, that's I, I, the other I, I side of the corn. Yeah, Absolutely. that's the other side. Yeah, yeah. It's, but if you're walking in with cash... Right, and you just have a cold, and you're not asking for surgery. <laughs> right, exactly. But but when they have a policy, the policy is the policy, and they're not going to deviate from that policy. Right. And also, if if um, if they treat you, they want to know what your social is, or they want to know at least more about you, so that if you come back and claim malpractice, then they have other information about you as well that they can look up. So, and then they can look online and see who else you sued. Right, right. So it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, tell us, so how has the Internet really changed our privacy? We've talked a little bit about it, but, you know, you were able to get information even without the Internet. So how has it really changed? Has it just made it faster well, and easier or what? Well, you got to remember, you know, I was getting information because, you, you know, I, if your name came across my desk, you did something to someone somewhere along the line. The problem today with the Internet, it's equal access. Anybody can get anything on anyone. And, you know, like what I used to do, I, I could tell if somebody's being stalked, and I'd contact my clients who have a problem with this, okay? There's just no, there's no parameters of who gets what information, and there's no parameters how it could be used. I mean, you could set up a website tomorrow about your neighbor and whatever you want to say about them. Um, I think the problem is it's it's like the Wild West, and we don't know where it's going. And I have a big problem with the social networking sites where 
who knows where it is in 10 years from now. You know, my thing, I mean, we've heard of Enron, Global Crossing, and MCI. Yes. Big business lies, and they go out of business no matter who they are. It happens. You know, what happens if Facebook went out of business, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then wh- what, where does that information go? Does a foreign co- country entity buy it and change the privacy policy and then utilize that information for something else? And, and we've heard so much about Facebook anyway, about how it is. They've really uh, let third-party apps get your sensitive data and use that data and share it without our permission, without our knowledge. So, you know, even, even without selling it, there is no privacy on, on Facebook. You know, I did an interview with a bunch of kids that were teenagers across the country about how they use Facebook. And we did this for a radio show. And, you know, when I asked the kids, I said, well, you know, how, how, what kind of dangers are there out there on, on Facebook? And they said, well, you know, you're not supposed to talk to strangers. And so I said, well, this one kid, I said to him, well, how many friends do you have on Facebook that can see everything about you? And he's, oh, 600. (laughs) And I said, so, okay, how many of you, how many of those 600 have you met face to face? And he kind of went, oh, dear, you know, he got it because they right. seem to think, I mean, who are these friends that we think that we have? I, You know, I don't, first of all, I don't have a personal website on Facebook. I have only business website and, and I only allow friends that I really do know, that I really right. know face to face. So it's a little bit different, but, uh, you know, I notice in your book, you have rules for the web. And this was with regard to social networking. Let's talk about some of those rules on how to protect your, your personal privacy under, you know, disappear in the social media. Can you give us some of those? You know, you'd have to tell me. Okay. I, I have well, let's so many... talk about them. I have them right in front of me because I, I have this book and I think it's great. By the way, I'm talking about the book, How to Disappear, uh, Erase Your Digital Footprint, Leave False Trails, and Vanish Without a Trace. And this is by Frank Ahern, who we're talking to right now from New York. So one of the things you said is every time you want to construct a web page or sign up for a social media site, make a new anonymous email address for that specific purpose. So is that something pretty easy for us to do? Yeah, because, you know, you got to remember, I mean, somebody gets your, people have a, a tendency to use the same email, same password. You know, it's either six digit or eight, eight digits, okay? And the wrong person gets your login and they can just access everything. Right. So, you know, you should have a different login for Facebook, different login for this. And I also think what you should do, too, you, have, you should have two computers, one for your play computer and one for your build serious things. I wouldn't do both from one computer. And make you know, sure would, that you don't, you know, one of my clients had the same password for her banking and her credit cards as she did for her social networking. I mean, you got to have different passwords and much more complex passwords when you have sensitive data, such as your bank or, or your right. credit card companies. Yeah, that, A lot of people are, you know, they, they do that where, you know, and just recently something happened, I think, on Facebook where somebody accessed somebody's account and put up all these compromising pictures of them. Right. And they knew their Facebook and their email was all the same password, and and it just turned into a mass disaster for that person. Yeah, I think that's one of the scariest things for these young people, and, and anybody, actually. If you have a friend and you share a lot of information with that friend and suddenly you have a falling out with that friend, that friend can put up compromising pictures about you 
that you didn't even know were up there and right. you know anywhere. And so that I think is is really pretty terrifying. If somebody decides that you're no longer their friend and they decided to betray you on on the web, that goes everywhere and it's never it's never really deleted, is it? Well, you know, that's a big question. I mean, even if you close the account, the question is, does that company delete your information? No, they, they keep they, it. It's just like Google keeps stuff indefinitely. Right. Everything, I mean, just because you delete, you know, who owns that information? Do you what? own it? Or, you know, once you put it on there, who owns it? Well, yeah, apparently we don't own it. You know, unlike the European Union, which has a very different aspect of privacy, they believe right. that your personal information is your personal information. In this country, it's not your personal information. It the the data belongs to whoever has it, and that's that's huge. Okay, yeah, here's I, another one. I wanted to go over some of your rules yeah. for the web, and and you can comment on it. Here's another one, which I I didn't think of doing. Um, when you're picking an email address or a web URL, get one that ends with a foreign extension like. Uh, co.uk or yeah that was yeah people will assume that's where you live i thought that was interesting well it's not only not only that i mean if somebody's trying to you know get your information you know they're going to be using gmail you know aol.com whatever it may be as opposed to you know gmail.co.uk or you know dot ru as an added sort of security so we can do that huh even if we're in this country Absolutely. I see. That's something brand new I didn't know. Okay, how about this one? If you need to include any other contact information on that site, such as a phone number or um, address, make sure it's for a JConnect number or a mail drop located very far from you. Oh, that yeah, was you, know, just, you know, like a, a JFAX or an eFAX, just like a virtual number. You know, it's like a, the new Google number, or you can use 8675309 like the song. I mean, I never put my phone number down. I can't believe they even asked for that. Or I can't believe they even expect people to tell the truth about that. Right. Of course, for me, and I and I think about this, that, you know, I have my, I don't have my home number and I don't have my cell phone number, but I do have my office number and I have a real address so that people know that, you know, I mean, that's kind of safe that you could know that she is really an attorney and she really has an office. You know, that's the other side of the coin if, for business, not for personal. I wouldn't want to do that. And that's the trouble with being licensed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And my, yeah, my address is up on the State Bar of California. Not my home address, but my office address is up there. So I guess if you want business and you're not virtual, then you you can't really disappear. How about this one? Never use your real name on the Internet. Use a misspelling or better yet, a pseudonym. Yeah, I mean, it just goes. Like, you know, so, you know I think people just trust the website's too much. I mean, you know, you deviate your name. Don't put your real name in there. Right. You're talking yeah, about would, if you're doing, if you're going to respond on something like on a newspaper or a blog. But, of course, if you have your own business, you want to have, if, you know, if you're professional, then you do want to have your name correct. So that's something right. that personally, so, I if I'm going to maybe do something where I'm going to uh, comment on a blog or something, then I would use a pseudonym. But even when if you're signing up for a website that's not going to display your name, why should you have to give your real name? <laughs> it's right. Amazing. Right. You know, and once again, I mean, even what you talk about responding on like you know newspaper websites. I mean, all that stuff's being extracted. I mean, look at Michael Savage and his crazy extreme opinions. They wouldn't have been, let him in the UK. 
you know, what about the average Joe who, who just hates Obama? You know, and, and, and he decides to go to the U.K. and they decide to research his social network and they find out he's an Obama hater and it's pretty aggressive. Right. I mean, right. you, don't, you, you never you, know. Right. You don't have to share your political views or anything like that because then you might even be considered a terrorist. Or at least not under your real name. Right. Right. Okay. Um, how about this one? Anything you do online that costs money should be paid for with a prepaid credit card. Absolutely. Okay, so that can't be traced back to you, are you saying? Well, it's not, it's not, I don't do that so much for being traced. I do that more so for, you know, if somebody tries to get that credit card information, it's a credit card that has maybe like 50 bucks on it that's not attached to your regular credit card. Right, right. And so, you know, this way you don't put your real credit card information in there. Right. You know, the other side of the coin that that I don't worry about is that, my credit card, you know that you're covered by the Fair Credit Billing Act, and I just look at my statements, and if there was anything on there that was very fraudulent, I just make a phone call to my credit card company, and I'm protected. When you're not protected is when somebody creates a new card in your name, then you know, or if you use a debit card, which I tell people never, ever to use a debit card, ever, anywhere, and especially online, because the money is siphoned out of your account immediately. Right. But, Okay, here. Uh, never trust anyone you meet or anything you see on Facebook. That's for sure. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, you're just some guy in Vegas who's 69 years old saying he's somebody else. Right. Until proven otherwise. Exactly. How about this one? Don't use Facebook to communicate with your friends and don't use it to find long-lost loved ones. Use the telephone, write people letters, and meet them in person. If you want to find contact information... For an old friend, use an old phone book or hire a private investigator. Don't trust what you see online. Hmm. That one is kind of weird, though, because I had a client who I hadn't talked to in many years that I, he was one of these victims of a, of criminal identity theft and got him, he was mixed up with a murderer. It wasn't him. Wow. And he found me uh, on Facebook and just was just, it was such a treat to hear from him. And he comments on my on my Facebook and I comment on his and he's doing really well now. And it's just, you know, I, I, I see people on there that I, I knew from, you know, 30 years ago. So I don't know. It's if you really, really know them, uh, I, I just, I guess if I'm not trying to hide from anybody, it's okay to do this. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, from my own personal perspective is, you know, nobody's tried to, you didn't try to locate me two years ago prior to Facebook and give me a call, you know, you matter of fact, you could have just typed my name in and got to my website. Right. You know, I, I just, I just find third party entities, uh, odd, you know, a friend of mine tell me he's had, had an argument with his girlfriend and he's like, you know, and on Facebook, I'm like, whoa, 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 don't use that. That's you know, stupid. <laughs> yeah. You know, what are you, 16? Yeah, you don't want to have an argument online by email, by by Facebook, by MySpace, nothing like that. That's crazy. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's weird because, you know, in X amount of years from now, <clears throat> the people who, someone who's 18 years old right now, in, in 15 years from now, their, their kids will be able to, like, search the Internet and find their parents' secrets. Yeah. Their DUIs. Oh. Their their off-colored pictures from, like, barbecues and things like that. And not only that, but not what you post, but what other people post about you. That's a right, problem. right. 
So let's you know let's talk about some of the places that people can at least go to and take their name off. You know, like you were talking about um, Zillow, like taking your house off of Zillow. You can do that, can't you? I don't know, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. It, it is pretty freaky be, when you when you see your your house and, and they have a picture. Like I saw my backyard. It kind of freaked me out. I, I told them to take me down. I'm not sure if they did have to look and again. Some of them, and some of them have pictures of the inside of the house, too, from prior sales. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, but I mean it just it, it, when you even look uh, like a, you zoom in and you see the backyard, or you could see how how oh maybe I could go in through that back door. I can climb up that back, uh, you know, hill, and then I can get into the back door. I just think it's kind of creepy. Yeah, or or even like you know, I think I'll start dating her. She lives in a great zip code. Look what she paid for a house. She must be doing pretty well. Right. Although my husband wouldn't like that, but <laughs> well, a little jealous, I guess. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, to me, that is like totally intrusive. It is I mean, intrusive. It's your home. You paid for it. What gives them the right to use your home? Exactly. You know, where's the sovereignty of the home? It, it, it's not there. Yeah. All the all the privacy that th- we thought that we had is is really diminishing very quickly unless we take some action. I know some of these companies that you can, um, that are, are, you know, people finder, you can actually ask to have your information taken down. And I've done that on several websites. So I think some of the places that you say in your book that you have, that used to do skip tracing, like um, Google phone book, uh, Yahoo people search, whitepages.com, superpages.com, addresses.com, anywho.com, birthdatabase.com. I think if you write to them, you can ask them to, to take you down. You can... You know, you can opt out of that and ask to be right. taken down on there. But it can take forever to do it. But not only that, you know, the, the other problem, though, is it's the other sites that then extract that information. And resell and, it. And, 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 and resell it, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's the problem. You know, you're, you're just chasing a ghost. Exactly. And, 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 and net, once it's up there, even if they take it down, it's replicated and it's never deleted. And oh, my goodness. But we are just about out of time, Frank. I just want to tell people again that you are the author. Frank Ahern is the author of How to Disappear, Erase Your Digital Footprint, Leave False Trails, and Vanish Without a Trace. There's some great stuff in here. I've already learned a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have thought of some things i can do and some i can't it's a great book and we can send them to your website and why don't you give that frank uh, they can come visit me at disappear.info and there's a lot of cool information that about privacy they can learn and just a lot of interesting tricks as well well we thank you so much for joining us and we'll have you back again and good luck with your book and let us know thank about you. your next one have a great day you Bye. too all right You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI. Visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy where you can see our upcoming guests. You can see their pictures, their bios, their book covers. Click on their URL, and also you can download podcasts and write us emails about what's important to you in the information age. Thank you. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.